2: Well, welcome again, folks, to Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes, Episode 2. Yeah! And Roll. You just heard our instrumental theme song. In my mind, I always have this one with lyrics in my head when we begin. It just goes, (laughs) Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. And that's probably just as well that we didn't commission something like that. It, though. I like that stuff. I a guess. nice guitar riffy situation. So every time I every time I see our the title of our podcast, that's what goes through my head. But I think uh, I think we've landed on a fun one and I'm pretty excited for today. Yes, I I absolutely.
1: Too. Oh my gosh, I've been so excited about this all week doing the research for this and the band, it's one of my favorite bands of all time. I'm a super fan. I'm i am not, uh, oh my gosh, I have so much to say. So yeah, let, let's, we got go. A let's lot.
2: go. We got a lot to talk about. I just wanted to, as a total aside, but knowing that you are our resident metalhead on the yes, podcast, absolutely. tried and true mm-hmm. resident metalhead, wanted to ask you about a movie that I ended up coming across this weekend, this metal themed movie. And it's
1: called- Awesome, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Barn Burner. Are you familiar with this? Oh my God, no. What? Tell me more. That sounds <laughs> badass. What is it?
2: So I figured you Barn had Barn known Barn? Like, the whole... Barn Burner? Yeah, I figured you knew the whole metal movie genre, but this one is about the Lancaster, Pennsylvania metal scene, how it was juxtaposed with the Amish community and how all of these metal bands, um, it was like throughout the 90s and a, a little far beyond that, Uh, partnered with churches Uh and church spaces to be able to do shows. And some of them started out, yeah, yeah, as religious metal bands, but uh, segued from there. And it was just fascinating. These kids would Uh stand in line from miles away for hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And it was a legit bonafide metal scene. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, Stephanie Pena knows something about this.
1: I don't, I don't. i I uh, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I do live in in the metal capital of the world, San Antonio, yeah. Texas, but yeah. uh, that's Lancaster. That's far, yeah. far away. So I mean, we all know about Ozzy and the Alamo. I could talk about that all day. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is this is awesome. So where did you, uh, you know, is this a documentary or is it an actual movie? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's this documentary. Um, I was fascinated. I'd never even heard about it, but I knew I had to mention it to you because it seemed very up your alley. And the Uh, music was great. These clips that they showed, these were very legit bands and they were talking about it. uh, They were talking about the scene for the time uh, in the way Please Kill Me did, the oral history, uh, seminal punk rock book, of course. Yes. They were talking about it in in the same way. They were going back, visiting these venues, whatever. And of course... That's not our, our topic for today, but relatedly and just for listeners out there who might be interested in getting a good documentary. Barnburner,
1: great one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where did you catch this on? Uh Tulu? <laughs> I Amazon Prime? we Pluto, yes. Pluto's music channel. We're it's not, Pluto.
2: Yeah, we're not gotcha. We're not paid Pluto, but we will take your advertisements. You want to advertise on here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, got a great music channel. Quality documentaries. You know. Yeah, we all need good recommendations these days of content. So I thought I'd bring it up to you. Anybody who's listening, great. Oh no, that's wonderful. That
1: you might have. That's wonderful.
2: You might have missed. So anyway, I digress. But wanted to make sure that you knew about it.
1: (laughs) No, that's awesome. That's awesome, and you know. Um, Yes, metal is my favorite genre, folks. That is um, my number one choice. Always will be. But the band that we're talking about today also resonates with Metalheads. This is beauty. This is just a beautiful episode. Um, I I just cannot tell you. It's funny the way Metalheads really in the punk. That makes sense. You know, aggressive, you know, got something to say, heavy riffs, but we have a soft side too. And, um, yeah, and The Cure is one of those bands that just resonates with a lot of metalheads and I am one of them. So super fan. I've seen them twice. Steph, have you seen them before? In concert? Uh,
2: you know, I, I ended up missing them when they were on a like a summer bill. Yeah.
1: Oh no, because they played MSG. I saw them in 2016. That oh. was one of my last shows in New York. Yeah. Oh, thought, why didn't you go with me? That's crazy. I don't know. Actually,
2: I'm actually very surprised. Like
1: who the heck <laughs> Yeah. Why did you not go with me? Now I gotta rethink that. And I'm wearing that tour T-shirt. Like, ow! It could fucking have holes in it. I don't give a shit. I wear it every week. I have my poster. I saw my poster from that. First time I saw them, real quick, um, was in 2000 in Dallas, and it was August or July, so super hot. So I just want to give some major props to Robert Smith because even in that Texas heat, homie was straight up in the all black. And the white, you know, white makeup and the red lipstick looking, you know, doing his part, looking his image in that heat. I was like, man, props to you. But um, that's super sad. You weren't able, you haven't been able to see the cure, but it seems like they're not going anywhere. I mean, they are just as popular today as they were back in the late 70s. Um, I yeah. do know that The Cure actually is on for um, for those metalheads on the line. And if you're a Deftones fan, that's one of my favorite bands as well. Um, Badass, I love you. Um, <laughs> well, Robert Smith actually does a remake of Teenager on the 20th anniversary of Deftones' White Pony. It's called Black Stallion. It's out now. So fucking amazing. Like, oh my goodness. God. Again, proves my point. The metalheads have that tender spot. For, you know, the new wave, but, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, and that's some, that's some good knowledge right there. So check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's, um, you know, thanks guys for joining in again. I hope you enjoyed episode one. We had a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So, um, thanks for coming back. One thing I did want to touch base really quick, just on our overall tagline and our theme, um, because I mentioned that we're talking about songs you want to forget but love to remember. And let me just be clear on this. Every song that we're talking about on this podcast, we love. We love, appreciate, we are fans of these bands. We're not here to make fun of artist music whatsoever. These 100%, are folks. Yes.
2: Exactly. Okay.
1: Thank you, yep. Stephanie. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, what I I just want to put a little bit of color and context to what I meant by that line. So, you know, songs you want to forget. So like Maybe it's a song that you grew up with when you had like zits all over your face, braces on. You don't want to think about that time in your life, or it's a song that you associate with a breakup, or it's like just something that is just like, man, I want to forget about that time, but you love it because it also brings, you know, it's a give and take. So I just wanted to make that clear. And, you know, Steph and I are major music fans and we have nothing but love for folks that, you know, have this incredible talent that either none of us do but, <laughs> but
2: and he's like these things bring back so much nostalgia too so you're right yes just, it takes you back to a time in your life and and does it in a kind of visceral way and you know we acknowledge that and appreciate it
1: yeah we're absolutely all, we're fans in that way. for sure um and if you haven't done so folks please make sure to follow us on all the socials so we're on your tiktok we're on your instagram your ig your fb um your abc whatever you follow we are on it uh check us out and thank you so much for the support so far
2: and we're at stephanie's talk tunes is our handle everywhere except twitter where that's too long where we're just stephanie's talk um and you can find oh us i everywhere. didn't know that yeah yeah so you can find us okay everywhere else uh we have some behind the scenes uh little video clips that you'll be able to see we're sharing there and you know connect with us there just to share your thoughts Uh, We want to hear them about maybe songs we should do, songs that resonate with you or even what you thought about what we talked about during the episode. We want to know. We want
1: to know. Yeah. And if there's room for improvement, please. I'm I'm all about constructive criticism. So there may be somebody on the line that has an established podcast is like, listen, lady, you could do this better. Please let me know. But uh, neither ado. let's start talking about the cure. All right. So, uh, okay, so today we're going to talk about Just Like Heaven. And I'm probably hearing yes in the background and (laughs) we're ready to go. But before we start talking about that fantastic song, let's give a little bit of historical, really cool facts. I've done a lot of research um, on this and learned a lot about a band that I've been loving for decades. I want to start off by just talking about the fandom The Cure inspires in general. Cure fans are no joke. So I I came across this article um, in Spin Magazine and it was from July of 1989 talking about a time when um, in 1987 they were touring Argentina and Brazil stadium tour and some um, they sold out really quick and the fans that didn't get tickets literally rioted on the streets. Holy Holy fuck! Oh my god! Military officers like it was a legit riot stuff can you believe that that's insane talk about I love
2: <laughs> i could see it though you know it's a it's a special breed and i've seen the intense fandom i have many fandoms myself but the one this inspires just like you had alluded to earlier is pretty serious it's a serious fandom
1: It's a serious fandom. Damn, man. Like, I can't even imagine. So Robert Smith is quoted in here just giving us a picture of the chaos inside um, the stadium in Brazil. An officer was literally set on fire. What the flying fuck? That is insane. Like, I mean, so the riot, so that intensity was happening on the streets, and it also carried into the stadium. And um, okay. I just want to say, Mike. Oh my gosh! I mean, wow. I, and I will say, maybe we'll say this for another podcast. But um, I was at the Danzig riot at the Fun 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 Fest back in 2011. I guess it was. Oh wow! Um, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. So anyway, <laughs> I, I do understand people getting cray music but, riots. Um, yeah, music riots. Oh, my gosh! But let's talk about here in the U.S. So, believe it or not, guys, they didn't get much airplay here, and they were known as a cult band. So um, for those listeners that know, like, hey, man, The Cure, they are amazing, blah, blah, blah. Well, check it out. They had a cult following. So this just goes to show how talented these guys are. Um, and as far as something else I wanted to add um, in regards to the crazy of the fandom, the fan base. So in San Francisco, the, the, the Cure is playing a show in 1989. A member of the audience climbed up on stage and stabbed himself repeatedly in the chest amongst a cheering crowd of 18,000 people. Good God. Let that sit in for a sec. Let that sit in for a sec. Like, oh, what? What? So, and Robert Smith with his English, uh, you know, humor, um, he's quoted by saying that they find Americans a little obsessive and sinister. Yeah, you think? (laughs) we, We can't show this in audio.
2: Form, but if you guys are watching this, my jaw was kind of just hanging open for a little bit. Because, well, it's <laughs> yourself in the chest. You know, it's a very Hamlet move, very Shakespearean told. in a way. I mean, I hope, God, I don't even know. You know what? I'm not even going to speculate, but
1: good. Yeah, year. yeah. <gasps> And then, okay, so let's touch base a little bit here. So we're talking about a lot of dark stuff, right? And so it's like, okay, the fandom of The Cure. Yes, it's a cult band. It's known as a new wave gothic band. But I'm sorry, I don't see The Cure as being depressing music. What do you see it as, Steph? That's a really good point. I also don't see them as being depressing.
2: I think they're, uh, you know, the good thing about Robert Smith, I'll tell you, just as a lyricist, um, as a composer, he's very, he's very honest And it's in a way where he Mm -hmm. kind of goes through the gamut of human emotion uh, in a way that if we contextualize it again at that time was actually very poppy. It was in some ways uh, pop music around that time. It was very lightweight. And if you look at their trajectory of when they became popular, and when they started, uh, a lot of the top 40 was, you know, meant to be, for lack of a better term, kind of confectionary. So I think they filled a niche that they knew it's like, okay, but we're going to be real. <laughs> yes, we're going to, we're going to do yes. songs that might yes. seem, uh, you know, poppy, but take a look at the lyrics. They're actually pretty weighty. Uh, and that's what I've always appreciated about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been a fan. And I think my first kind of entree into them was probably 12 or 13. And I feel like that's maybe the era where people become a little obsessive about their music or figure out what they're into or become very moved by music sure. kind of around that mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. where it's a yeah, moment of discovery. So that's my, that's my take.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And just to like go more on that, it's like when I hear the music, I mean, Robert Smith's guitar, and of course the band in itself, it sounds like, like I'm in, like I'm in the sea, like it's tropical, like it's yeah. just fun and airless and like makes me happy. It's mystical. And yes, not going to lie. There are some serious songs, but this is how I see it, man. It's like, I don't give a fuck who you listen to. Some artist, band, whatever, group, rapper, um, you know, choir member, I don't care. Whoever you listen to that's an artist has a sad song, has a ballad. And so I yeah. think The Cure has a mix of, you know, those weighty songs. And then it has those light and airy songs. Um, so I just wanted to make that because it's funny because you hear like, oh, I like The Cure. Oh, you got to be totally like depressed and a <laughs> sad person. No, bro. <laughs> don't diss. You don't know. it. it good music, wonderful lyrics, just, and the music itself is so captivating. And it really does like ignite, like my creative juices. Like I can listen to The Cure and be doing some drawing. I can be, you know, let's say I'm working, I'm trying to hash out a project, um, you know, and I got to write some type of content and it just gets my, it it gets my energy up and, um, you know, it, it helps me, it just helps me produce some really good stuff. So anyway, So this band actually formed in 1978 in Crawley, England. Um, And so that was one year after punk hit the scene. So, oh my God, Uh, 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 good time. Good time for rock and roll. Um, And Mr. Smith is the oldest member. So I do want to share um, some other uh, fun facts that I found from NME online. They did a really cool article um, entitled 27 Geeky Facts About the Cure. So- If there's one thing that I love is a system and consistency. And so since the release of Wish in 1992, The Cure have released an album every four years until 2008 with their 13th studio album, 413 Dream. That is cool.
2: You know, I feel like I should know that, Um, but I did not know that about The Cure. And yeah, again, I appreciate (laughs) consistency from artists. That's kind of amazing. I mean longevity, but really planning. They don't screw around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I'm a total I oh, I am a very organized, systematic person. Anyone who's ever worked <laughs> with me on the line knows that I'm all about timelines and a system. So and I was reading this about the cure. I'm like, nah, me and Robert could get along. So that's fucking dope. All right. So as Billboard goes, again, they didn't get a lot of airplay, but of course they had some number one hits. So they had four number one hits in the US. Um 10 top 10 hits and 16 songs total that um, made a splash in the U S um, one for one song. And for example, that was super popular, that made them popular was Friday I'm in love. And um, that was in the early nineties that that came out and Robert Smith just started to despise being popular. Cause he was used to that cult status. Um, but Hey, neither here nor there cause he's still rocking today. So I guess he got over it. Um, <laughs> another fun uh, fact. Okay, Steph, do you know the song, Lullaby? Um, of course. You know, man is It's classic. Tonight. Okay, check this out. All right, it was inspired by the disturbing songs Robert Smith's father would sing him when he could not sleep as a child. He would always make them up. This is per Robert. This is him quoting. that There was always a horrible ending. They would be something like, sleep now, pretty baby, or you won't wake up at all. <laughs>
2: oh! You you know, no. Feels like these days, in modern times, that might be, I don't know, somebody might call CPS, call the authorities on that seems like a little bit of setting yourself, setting yourself up for some good therapy, or you won't wake up at all. That's like, um, what's the old school Grimm fairy tales? Yes, exactly. That's yeah. exactly
1: what I was going to bring it back to. I'm like, it's the Grimm, man. So I was yeah, in yeah. Barnes and Noble the other day and I saw um, they have a display before you walk in and there was like, oh, the Grimm's tales. I was like, and I told Jeff, I was like, if we ever had kids, I'd have to break it down and be like, these are the real fairy tales. <laughs> i'm sorry and maybe i would they're dark um, you know, those are it. dark they endings. are yeah. they are they are but it's like I, I couldn't lie to our kid if we had one but anyway that's nuts i could not imagine my dad or my mom laying over me trying to get me to go to bed because i'm telling you i had a hard time going to sleep vivid imagination as a child watch too much horror movies but if they top that shit off with a crazy lullaby air quotes yeah no kidding. saying i'm not i would never go to sleep oh my god that's crazy. oh my So yeah, I guess Robert Smith's daddy did a number on him and, uh, I'm pretty sure obviously had an effect on his, uh, his music again. So another fun fact. Okay. I'm going to talk about this guys. I'm sure a lot of these, a lot of folks listening right now, they're probably their favorite album is probably 1989's disintegration. That's probably my
2: favorite of theirs. Is it? it? Yeah.
1: Is it? Okay. Mine is honestly, it's, it's kiss me, kiss me, kiss Kiss me. me. Yeah. And then also, but it's, it's a tough call between Bloodflowers. Like I love Bloodflowers.
2: Oh, good. It's a little overlooked. I feel because it came later in their trajectory. And I feel yep. like not everybody when they're thinking of the cure thinks of that album,
1: but they should, they should. Oh, Last days of summer. Oh, oh my God. And that was supposed <laughs> to be like their farewell album. Um, I remember reading, I was probably in Rolling Stone. That was supposed to be their farewell. So glad they didn't call it quits. But yeah, if you check that out um, album out, guys, um, Blood Flowers, because that was yeah. going to be their last album and you can see that they're saying, you know, farewell, but thank God they're still here. Um, But anyway, let's talk about Disintegration because Disintegration is um, put them on, you know, was something that, you know, intensified their fan base is definitely a brilliant album. Holy shit. Honestly, I was listening to it this morning while I was on the spin bike. um, I have to admit, and uh, taking me to just taking me to a nice place as I'm trying to lose this COVID fat. Um, But anyway, so anyway, but okay, this this album, Beautiful and Masterpiece is definitely has some dark songs. Um, and this is where we go with the heavy lyrics, but supposedly, um, Robert Smith at this point in time was, um, in a episode of depression and was also, uh, using LSD heavily. So LSD, um, folks is a, you know, psychedelic drug and a lot of artists use it to get their creative brains, you know, their juices flowing. So for Robert, it has took him down a black hole, um, but created some masterpieces. Okay. So check this out. This is, this is where we get dark here. Goth to the max. So the Sources Spin article um, in 1989, they published that. And I've, I saw from other sites as well. Um, in New Zealand, two kids committed suicide while listening to The Cure, right before they started to record the album of disintegration. Before, not after listening to this. I mentioned it's a dark album, but this happened before. The band kept a cutting of the news story pinned to the studio wall while recording.
2: That okay. seems a little, uh, that stuff. seems
1: a little ghost I can wars. See
2: <laughs> it seems see your face. a little ghost wars here.
1: Right? Uh, right?
2: Yeah. You know, and I would have some questions at that point. Like, is this for inspiration? You know, but I, I, I want to assume best intentions about them too, that it was like, okay, we're here to make this for the fans that are no longer here for us.
1: Right, right, right. So I did some more reading there, but I definitely wanted to get your take on that before I put a little bit more context to it. So at the time, um, the albums that The Cure had out were the poppy albums, were the fun. He was like, you know, Robert Smith talking about, yeah, we wrote that album and we were drinking wine in Greece and having a good time. So Disintegration was the first album to where they went into the darker phase, and so they took no light to it. It was basically like, come on, please spare me. I wear all black, and so these kids, you got to be depressed again going into that, you know, stupid stereotype. So God bless those kids that, you know, passed away, um, you know, by, by suicide, but it definitely had nothing to do with the cure. It just was what it was. Right. Um, aside from that. So this album was a perfectionist album. Robert Smith didn't talk during the recording. He would pass notes. Okay, guys, he would not talk during the recording. He would pass notes. What the
2: fuck? You know, I hear that, and I think, uh, I think method acting. I think Marlon Brando, uh, I think uh, we're gonna stay in character. Even uh, Jim Carrey was known for this, right? When he did mm-hmm. Man on the Moon, uh, he was known for, I'm not gonna come out of character, mofos, I'm continuing right. to act like this. And I feel like this is the music equivalent of doing that to be like, nope, I'm staying in character as Robert Smith. And I imagine the character of Robert Smith might take over for him at some times because you know he created this larger than life character around the cure. So the fact that he's sitting there and I can imagine it too, in the studio passing notes, staying in character, maybe preserving his energy. I I appreciate that Mr. Smith. I do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then I totally get it. It came, I'm like, okay, well this was an album he wanted to do and he wanted to make it perfect. At 30, I understand that. I just hit a milestone birthday at 40. I get it. Before the day before I hit uh, 30, I ran my first half marathon. I understand wanting to make like something really big happen before a milestone birthday. So, hats off to Robert because goddamn, this album is the shit. It's so good. So, ah, oh, love it, love it, love it. Um, and my last thing I want to talk about just fun facts again, I mentioned about fandom. So Robert Smith was used to being a, um, you know, a cult band and it always made me think when I would see him live, I'm like, man, don't they get tired of like singing Friday I'm in love or even just like heaven. Cause those are the songs that you will hear on the radio every now and then. Um, and there was a moment in time where he started to get mad about it. And, uh, but you know, neither here nor there, they're still, they're still going to play it guys. Just for those folks that haven't, um, seen the cure live, they will play your favorite songs. So let's kind of segue into Now Just Like Heaven because this is a popular song. Love this song. When I hear this song, it instantly puts me in a good mood. And when I did my first little, um, uh, we call it, uh, excuse me, when I started to do some research on it, I found out that Robert Smith wrote it um, about a sea trip with his then girlfriend, who's now his wife. How romantic is that? It's kind of adorable. My God. That is so cute. It's really kind of cute. So, yeah. So, Robert. Oh, my God. We're in his heart on his sleeve. Okay. So, let's talk about the opening line. So, as we all know, it's show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. It's we're in dancing. reference. We are dancing. I'm dancing right now. We're dancing right oh, yeah. now. We're dancing I just got instantly more happy. My Garmin, my my heart rate just went up. The singing that. <laughs> of course it did. You know, and
2: Robert Smith would love that. Let's not lie.
1: Yeah. Oh, good shit. So that awesome opening—that's actually in reference to Smir- uh, excuse me, to Smith's early childhood of uh, of his hobby of magic.
2: He was a magician. That makes me that's happy. That's so
1: cool. That's so cool. Yeah, Steph. I know you like Houdini. Um, oh,
2: so, <laughs> well, my dad does.
1: <laughs> yes, your father. Yes, your father likes Houdini. Yes, He's yes, yes. Hi, Hi, Dad. Hi, Mr. Myers. <laughs> I love that you love Houdini. It's awesome. So, oh my gosh. Um, and you know, this, this came from a source from far out magazine. They quoted that. And I was like, Oh, thank you for sharing. That's super cool. Also, you know, Smith took, you know, as a musician, he took great joy in his friends marveling at his basic magic, magic tricks and clearly saw it similarly sentiment when he stared astounded at the song's central figure, his wife, Mary. So Mary, this song is about Mary. This is a love song y'all. Oh my gosh. So uh, really awesome. Awesome. But, one thing, let me pause real quick. This is a fun fact about the song, and I have Stephanie. Have you heard the song "Another Girl, Another Planet" by the Only Ones?
2: I think I have on a compilation, actually. Yeah.
1: Well, lady, it sounds so similar
2: ah, to yeah, "Just Like that Heaven." Actually, structurally makes sense. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Robert Smith in uh, in Far Out Magazine referenced this as well. He didn't realize it at the time, and I never heard the song. The song came out in the mid seventies, and it's a really great song. Um, but yeah, it does have some similarity. To, again, the song is Another Girl on Another Planet. For those, check that song out um, who want to. It's by The Only Ones. Um, you know, and so that, um, that's some fun fact around that. And also, you know, just that song itself, it's one of the forgotten songs of the decade. But, you know, definitely is certainly well worth revisiting per Smith. He says the main difference is that as the song progressed, uh, he introduced some different chord changes, which gave it that slightly melancholic feeling. Melancholy. There he goes. Melancholic. So oh, I like there we that. Go. Okay. So,
2: Well, that's super cute. You know, I just, I love this song as a, a little bit of an aside, but related. When you were talking about um, Friday, I'm in love. Uh, mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, there's an amazing breakfast spot in portland called fried egg i'm in love uh yeah so oh. pena's mouth is open right now guys it's amazing and it's funny to watch people walk up and either giggle at the name or just have no idea what this is but anyway right it was a great egg sandwich and clearly the owners were cure fans so just a little bit of an aside on their two um their two probably most popular songs be fried fried egg in love, and then Just Like Heaven, which we're talking about during That's the episode.
1: oh my God. But I
2: digress. If you're ever in Portland, it's a great egg sandwich. Anyway. Um,
1: right. So what did you so, eat? Did you have a fried egg? Is it fried egg on everything or what?
2: Yeah, so it's like breakfast sandwiches. So these like great breakfast sandwiches that are fried egg based. And I gotta say, as a fried egg sandwich aficionado, it was really tasty. And I just, it made me so happy. It was like, oh, of course, these... Cure fans in Portland made this restaurant. I don't, I don't know uh, if they got in legal trouble for that. <laughs> That's the part I'm not sure about. Seems like there's a little borrowing. I don't, actually, know. I don't know. But I'm shouting it out. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them in any way. Shouting that place out just for your, uh, maybe your Cure breakfast needs listeners out there. I, I think I have the fried egg I'm in love sticker on my fridge still. Cause it's like kind of amazing. Anyway. I digress. Um, I love it. Stephanie, thank you for all of this amazing info about not only The Cure in background, but uh, the song we're here to talk about today, Just Like Heaven. This is amazing things that I don't think everybody knows listening. Certainly, I learned some things. And it takes me back, Well, I'm glad I could teach you. It was, yeah, no, I love fun facts. Take this back to trivia night whenever the heck that opens up again. And it's a great- it's a great freaking song. And it just makes me think about uh, our story related to this Mm -hmm. kind of amazing song. So again, uh, Stephanie and I uh, lived in New York at the same time for many years, Uh, many years. And we saw a lot and we did a lot and it was a great time. And we often would seek out uh, where's the good dance places. Where are the clubs that are not these scene-y, uh crazy clubs but are in right. good time. And we had gone in Austin together before finding those like eighties industrial nights. they were really fun. Um, and yes. I feel like we both kind of have a nose Absolutely. for finding those places. Right. Um, and so, oh, it, oh, yes. you know, right. And it's good times. And I just, I think about this too, now that they're not really a dance club scene with COVID, hopefully that's going to come back soon. Um, but I think about this one night, oh gosh, I, hope so. I think it's on its way. I think it's on its way. I have some thoughts on that, but I do think get we're going to get back. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> we're going to get back to it, but we we've found trust. this place. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get faxed. We found a place called, and I shit you not, it's called the Bat Cave in Manhattan. I think mm-hmm. maybe it even maybe it uh, morphed into Albion's Bat Cave, if, if my research uh, tells me correctly. But it was kind of an institution. Okay, good to know! I just remembered the bat cave. No, that's incredible. Yeah. Oh. That's incredible mm-hmm. that you even remembered that. Because I was like, I had it somewhere in my memory that we were deep in Brooklyn, somewhere else. But uh, but yeah, it was this great mm-hmm. place in Manhattan. It was, yeah. you know, conceivably dark. Uh, it was like a bat cave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was amazed first of all yes. that we like found this place. But again, we always had like a nose for finding these either places like as venues who uh, specialized in this or had really specific fun theme nights. And so, uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so at the Batcave, it was an industrial eighties night, which is the kind we love industrial slash eighties and just setting the scene here, because I realized some listeners who are just not familiar with this scene. Um, if you've never been to this kind of night, it's kind of like industrial night or even at a, a goth like Club, uh, for that matter, uh gothish, as it were. The neat thing is you'll find that goths are like the most respectful people that you'll have the good fortune of running into at a club. Uh, because when I think about uh, Amen. you know, you know, and you've the thing is like you've lived in New York for any amount of time, or actually maybe even elsewhere, you know, like maybe traditional clubs are uh not the most low-key places. Uh, they can be very like yeah. stressful. They're not yeah. always great Good. for women like end up, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's grabbing your butt. But I always say that at goth clubs, no one is going to grab your ass without your knowledge. Like in the words of Prince, it's not that kind of party. They're not going to be doing that to you. Tell so no. you don't need to worry about it. And I know that uh, and that's kind of wherever you go. I would say, because uh, yeah. Stephanie, I don't know if you saw that also in Austin and elsewhere. Anywhere that there's oh, these yeah, types absolutely. of clubs, it's always the same respectful clientele. Mm hmm. Just very, Yeah, just for very sure, chill. So, you know, Yeah.
1: Yeah, let me elaborate on that, because absolutely, I lived in a goth club. That's what I did every weekend um, when I was in college and even right after, before I moved up to New York. So check it, guys, man. What I love about the goth scene is that you're doing your own dance. You're in your own world. Ain't nobody going to bother you. You're just, you know, literally just having a good time, going with the music. It's for the love of the music. And, um, you know, that, that was the inviting scene that I wanted, because, yes, I do go to the – I did go – To the regular clubs, Um, you know, I wasn't ever like a VIP or anything like that. But yeah, you know, I I was never and I always felt self-conscious. Let's just put it that way. As a young, as, you know, late teen, early 20s, self-conscious, you know, I'm riding on the dating scene. I'm new. I don't want to look dumb when I'm dancing, whatever. But there was none of that garbage at a goth club. And that's what I absolutely loved about it. Um, and of course the music, right? So um, I just want to say a quick shout out again in San Antonio. I always went to Atomic. I went to Sin 13, Sanctuary. Oh my God. Um, even Joe's Volcano did an 80s night. My God. I was I would drive from Austin every weekend to San Antonio because San Antonio does it right when it comes to goth and when it comes to metal. So that it just brings me a big smile. So happy we found the Batcave and um, because- <laughs> Yeah, because it was like literally really close to, you know, me jumping the state lines. And and I love that we have that, you know, in common, Stephanie. And then in Austin, you know, the Atomic Cafe, um, that was a big one as well. Um, Elysium, it's now Elysium. Um, you know, yeah. gosh, I hope that place opens up really soon. I even saw like My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult there amazing Elysium's great and uh yeah I mean stuff. I'm so happy that we were able to share this so um not further ado please continue with our story
2: yeah it's just a great I mean it's just a great scene wherever you go it's like these people kind of know to uh to find each other yeah it's very very chill but I feel like there's a, a semblance of this scene in almost every town or again at least exactly. there was pre-covid and I'm really hoping this stays past this but anyway, we're at the Bat Cave uh, in Manhattan. Uh, it's it's awesome. We're totally enjoying it. This is the first time we had gone to it. Uh, check out this particular mm-hmm. spot, and so we were having a really good time. Uh, so we're hanging out. We're dancing. There's there's different people kind of in different spots on the dance floor, but I wouldn't say like the dance floor was overly populated at that point it was actually pretty chill and a little bit empty but we just decided we didn't care so we're hanging out we're dancing we're like oh yeah we're like here we go uh division b-sides whatever the heck it was and we're alternating chatting we're having a cocktail we're getting on the dance floor and we notice uh no real surprise here that the crowd is pretty reserved. And that's kind of par for the course again, cause they're not out there grabbing mm-hmm. your ass, um, yeah. but full of kind of, uh, I call right. them grown goths, grown goths all around, in different, <laughs> different forms wearing different things. Um, just kind of hanging out at the edges of the club and kind of keeping to themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say being wallflowers, but keeping to themselves and keeping at best respectful distance, um, from everybody around them and that might just be like cool and doing my own thing yeah no respect so we understand Yeah, it was kind of like
1: social distancing. we didn't know what it was it was yeah it was, they was were free social distancing they we were social distancing <laughs> yeah like what the hell okay whatever the cocktails were good guys and we loved the music it was a good scene but yeah it was, yeah, it was really chill it was more like a lounge than a club it was like a lounge so i was yeah. like everyone was just lounging no one was dancing but stuff continue yeah
2: no, it was, a, it was so much fun. And uh, so we're like, no, this is cool. Like this is our speed. We don't need, you know, somebody sweating on us. Like this is really yeah. fun. And so we're like, yeah, it's par for the course for God's scene. We'll hold down this dance floor dance dance this mess around in the words of the B52s, exactly. like, let's do this. It's chill minor key <laughs> tunes kind of playing fits the scene. And we're just chilling out. And then just out of, out of nowhere, like a light switch, uh, the DJ starts playing just like heaven. And it's just like, you couldn't do a movie cut that was more succinct of cut to the goths pouring onto the dance floor. And it was just this zero (laughs) to a hundred scene that we were just kind of like looking Mm -hmm. at open mouthed, And that was like talking these shy wallflowers kind of in the corner who were hanging out at the edges coming from that to, uh, Somebody who's sprinting, sprinting onto the dance floor, and people kind of doing the doing yes. the windmill, doing the windmill in the middle of the dance floor with no inhibitions. And you know, God knows, I'm not. Woo. You know, it was like, God bless him. I'm not here to make fun of anybody. You do the windmill. I hope you're having a good time. You're here for do the you. cure. You're here for do the you. cure. Um, yeah, but really, it aligns with everything we were talking about because if you've ever seen the fervor the cure inspires, like including the riots that Pena was mentioning um it's really just something to behold the sheer fervor that the cure inspires and that night it was definitely something to behold and um stephanie and i joke about it that many years later this moment of just like the faucet came on like and here comes the outpouring of emotion right and it was funny it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen
1: yeah like, this is, okay, so, like, any scene, right, you have some goths who are more into industrial. You're going to have some, you know, uh, the goths are, like, the Nitzer Ebb. You're going to have those goths that are really more into, um, like, say, the Joy Division and, you know, Susie and the Banshees, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody loves The Cure. Yeah. Everybody. Like, it was, like, at that moment, it felt like just a regular club. And it was, the energy was great. And a regular club, minus the ass-grabbing, even when, even when goths gut out for a popular song, they still know space. So thank you, Goss. It's the best. They can't, they fly. They flew like bats. They flew they like flew bats to the cave. It was so fun. <laughs> it was done. It's our song. Yeah. Flew
2: like bats down to the dance floor. And uh, it was hilarious to watch. And I'll kind of never forget it. And it's just one of those moments. It's like, yeah, that's its own. That's its own story. And really yeah. the... You know, it was its own time, and really the the club scene when we lived there in New York, too, for folks who are interested or folks who lived it. I feel like, and you would probably agree with me, Stephanie, that it was kind of this special moment in time and kind of a singular moment in time somewhere post somewhere post two thousand, shall we say? And again, when we're talking about the club scene in New York, that that. We're not talking about um, meatpacking, district club scene.
1: Nah, we're not trying to hang out with P. Diddy. It wasn't any of that. We're not talking about. trying to open up first of all. (laughs) No, no, I ain't trying to do all that shit.
2: Yeah, that's a different club scene. And it's, uh, frankly, a little basic. And it's not my scene. And it's, to be honest, usually filled with posers when I had gone. So not my scene, but we, I feel like. Preach. yeah, had a real talent yeah. um for figuring out these different places and figuring out where we wanted to be. And the club scene, I think around that time, the we had found these pockets that were just really centered around uh catering to folks who wanted something a little bit different. And that was, I'd say that level right. of the scene was mostly uh centered around East Village. Um in Brooklyn, there were some pockets mm-hmm. of that, um, and it really just makes us think too. As uh, Stephanie and I were talking about this pre episode, what is lost with COVID and these small businesses, yeah. especially clubs <sighs> who were just you know, there's yes. not it's not like restaurants exactly where you can space people out in a way that's organic or in a way that makes sense, and I'd say venues clubs uh concert venues that are indoors those places have really had the most to lose with all of this and we've seen so many closures and we saw um the recent closure of one of i i would say one of our favorites stephanie if that's not too uh too much of an oh overreach. yeah no this is my favorite yeah no. yeah no, no you're on it
1: myers that's my same. this one's my favorite <laughs> oh my I, gosh. It, it, like
2: it's got kind of, a. it's breaks my heart to even say it as a April pyramid in the East Village closed, uh, which was just this institution on Avenue A. Uh, it opened in 1979. It was kind of known as the CBGB adjacent scene. And it was originally, uh, as I learned, a dive bar that was uh, I learned mm-hmm. from an Eater article frequented by old Polish men who would come in for their 50 cent shots at nine in the morning. Which was like a fascinating thing oh to Oh, goodness. Learn. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fascinating thing to learn. And I just thought, too, Stephanie, about these classic old man bars that we've gone to in New York. Yeah. Uh,
1: oh, New Air. York's full
2: of them. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. They were really, yeah, had that vibe. You know, working class folks who ended their shift and were taking a, a drink at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday as you walk by to the gym. Uh, no shade on these places because I hope all of them survive uh, after the pandemic. But Pyramid yeah. was uh, started out that way, but morphed into quickly this club that everybody, you know, was very beloved. Uh, RuPaul's first show was there, found out that allegedly the first New That's York awesome. Yeah. Yeah, right. Allegedly the first New York wow. shows, wow. For Rita, Chili Peppers and Nirvana, took place there, which is, what? again, yeah, no, not something I knew. And I do I wasn't shit. able to yeah, I wasn't able to cross source that, but apparently that's wow. Pyramid's been telling folks about that for years, which oh. uh and RIP I just got chills, right? No, I kind it too. R.I.P. Oh my gosh! We just celebrated a sad anniversary with him. So guess we did. thinking oh about God. everything that's happened in this club, and I know this was a big favorite venue. Um of Stephanie and I, and it was just you know if we talk about the Batcave or that kind of scene being this club of acceptance, it was the same thing. There was no pretension. Um, it was very throwback '80s focused yeah. industrial nights. And thinking about like, God, the pyramid is done after all these years. What is it? What does it kind of mean for these spaces that are accepting folks from all communities? And what does it mean to kind of not have those spaces anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah that's super important. Yeah. So like the pyramid, you know, when I first went there and moved to New York, I'm like, man, I needed to find a place again. I'm a goth goer. You know, I'm not into mainstream crap. And I'm like, man, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to relieve some energy. I want to dance. And when we found this place, I was like, oh my God, I'm at home immediately just at home. And you have people from all walks of life. You don't have to be dressed in all black and look goth per se, just go however the hell you have on and have a good time. And I will say, just to kind of allude back to the cure, the first thing that I noticed when I ordered my first drink at the bar was a painting of Robert Smith behind the bar. Come on. So happy. That's going to show you. Right? Like, how that cool. That so, cool. so, so happy. <laughs> yes yes. i mean oh my god that was the first thing i noticed when i got my first drink and the pyramid was very small and see here stephanie that red hot chili peppers nirvana rupaul did their first shows there damn how intimate there's i mean it was probably max capacity of like 200 it's a tiny oh, yeah. venue i mean it's it's I, I, I don't know yeah, it's not big at know. all but yeah super sad it's just like, my gosh like i'm just crushed I'm, I'm really crushed um because you know with bands and you know in particular the music of the cure um you know i have my my nieces my nephews folks that are younger than much younger than me love the cure where are they going to go to dance to this music like they're yeah. mega fans just like me i had no influence okay i had no influence just saying that. But, you know but honestly i mean th- this this Music is carrying generations, you know. And yeah. where the hell are we going go to go to hang out and lounge? I mean, there's still some places in San Antonio, but if you live in a city like New York with everything becoming Starbucks on the corner and everything just becoming just, you know, basic. Yep. And I'm, I'm so sad. I haven't been to the city in a minute. And I'm just, um, without the pyramid being there, damn, man, it just yeah. it doesn't feel right. I mean, I'm going to go to Lower East Side. What the hell am I going to do? I ain't trying to go to Starbucks. <laughs> so, am I? Well, I don't know.
2: <laughs> They're like, do you want to go to oh, this great know, venue? Man. Because now we have a bank.
1: I'm like, oh, that's, that's really exciting. Have that era. Uh, yeah. Like, no, no. And no, they have another nail salon, fuck your nail salon, bring back the pyramid. So, um, become, whatever, man. But uh,
2: yeah, to your point, so corporate throughout New York, and it's depressing me, but I'd say, especially the flavor that was in the East Village uh, keeps getting pushed out by money. Uh, frankly, corporate interests and corporate money. And I just think about what the pyramid meant for just folks of all communities. It was for many years a proud and prominent Mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ accepting space. Um, And that was, again, it opened in 1979. So that was in an era, yeah, where that kind of acceptance was not common and when the community uh, often Mm -hmm. had to be completely underground. And I also always like to give full context for, yeah, New York laws around that time, there were these draconian laws and you'd think, okay, it's New York, maybe this is the safest place for folks, but it was not, that really was not the case. So these laws were enforced in all these kinds of spaces, clubs, and even bars that were literally catering towards LGBTQ people, really came down on trans Mm -hmm. people, included the infamous law around three pieces of the sex you were assigned at birth attire. You need to be wearing these three pieces in the seventies in New York and, and folks, Mm -hmm. folks were prosecuted for this and trans people, uh, were literally arrested for existing around that time. So I always just bring this back to larger context and give credits, uh, credit to folks, trans women of color, Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, who in this East Village context of that time, uh, put their lives on the line. They were prominent fixtures in East and West Village, and they fought for rights of everyone when violence was regularly committed against them, including, uh, unfortunately, state-sponsored violence, which we're still seeing today. So I think about how them and others might have had this home uh, in the pyramid early on and just not having this space anymore for things like that. And so when I think about that, I think about a little bit of a, a little bit of an end of an era. So I don't know how you feel about it, but that's kind of, that's kind of how I'm feeling.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Um, You know, it's, uh, gosh, I have chills right now. There really are no words other than it's sad. You know, hopefully um, our generation, new generation, something else will come up because we need places like this, where you just feel like you belong. And um, no matter what, not no matter what walk of life, and it's so important. And especially as we're coming out of this pandemic, I hope that another venue opens up really quick in New York. So um, yeah, yeah, it has to happen. It really does.
2: Yeah. And there is, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple others that stand out to me during that time just like the limelight venue, which mm-hmm. was known for the motherfucker party, oh, gosh. which was held every long weekend, yes. uh, two thousand yeah. seven. But in terms of like, hey, this is a very radical acceptance scene. Um, I think about Don Hills on Greenwich mm-hmm. Street um, did underground dance parties, including yes. um, the Bowie Ball glam rock dance parties. But just calling those out oh. because they were also yes. scenes. yeah radical. Radical acceptance in the club scene. And it was just very come as you are. Nobody's turned away at the door for not wearing um, the right Manolos that night or whatever it is. So I guess I just, you know, it all exactly. it puts me in this mindset, yeah, of the what is going to become of the club scene, particularly the New York club scene, but just in general. What is that really going to look like after the pandemic? And where will folks have these spaces to gather who are looking for something different and are looking for
1: a sense of community is
2: what I kind of keep thinking about.
1: Yeah, maybe it's just going to have to go old school and do the house party again. House parties are going to be a thing, um, you know, and uh, and then you get a lot of brilliant minds together and, you know, maybe, you know, businesses will happen. I do want to touch base really quickly on the limelight because the limelight was a church, y'all. How awesome was that? It was a former church. Limelight, uh, if you guys remember, was um, you know those parties were ran by Michael Ailig, um, and he did uh, he was, he's the focus of Party Monster and. Um, some crazy things went down there and I'm just going to leave it at that. So leave that little nugget. Look up Party Monster. Look up Michael Aleg, Check it out because we can talk about a whole nother episode about that. Um, but Limelight did change into the Avalon and I think now it's a flea market. Um, no. Anyway, so I'm like, I'm kind of getting depressed. Oh my God. Okay. no more depressing stuff. Okay. Listen, out of all this, it's okay because we're still here. We love the music. We still have the cure to dance to. Um, let's get let's get vaccinated. Let's get back on the dance floor. Let's make it happen. Um, I know that I'll make it happen. Hell, I'll find I'll find some type of empty venue. I'll just dance on the street. I don't give a shit. Let's bring it back. So um thanks guys for uh you know listening to us again and hearing about our stories. And thank you, Robert Smith, for existing. Thank you.
2: Thanks for joining us here again, guys. We love having you here. Uh, We love doing this. We love talking to you. Please reach out if you have any thoughts at all. In
1: the meantime, stay safe. Stay sane. We'll see you the next episode. Now I feel a little somber, so I'm going to go listen to Just Like Heaven because that song immediately puts me in a good mood. All right, guys, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the dance floor very soon. Until next time, make sure to follow us on the socials. Give us your feedback, suggestions for future songs. We're all ears. We love you. Bye.
2: Bye, guys. Take care of yourself, and we will see you next episode. Peace.